Hey, Jenny. So, so great to have you on the Model Breakers podcast. At yeah, Charlene, great to, great to see you. And so excited um, about Model Breakers because number one, I've never been a model at anything. So <laughs> that's not true. I've, I've been an aberration. Ooh. So <laughs> I, an anomaly. Well, so- if people hear your story, they will disagree with you. Um, but but yeah, I think it's inspired by people like you, by people who um, always work really hard to understand what they really want and stand up when it's time. So yes. come at the right time. And I think your story will really enlighten people uh, from all walks of life. So yeah. I think we touched upon that last time. And I think you made a conscious t- decision to pass. Um, so tell us more about that. How did you make a decision what were you, what legacy would you like to uh, create in your life? I think the legacy that I'd like to create um, is to make sure that people pass on um, good emotional triggering recognition and digestion habits, right? Kind of like diet and exercise, right? It's really hard to eat five foods and five vegetables a day and not eat junk food and things like that. Wow. Um, Emotional and triggering and digesting exercise. Yeah. 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 Digesting uh, exercises and actually knowing how to do it and giving yourself grace to make mistakes. Yeah. I think too often we focus too much on the Instagram life or yeah. the Snapchat life. Yeah. And really that is just one snapshot of a moment. Mm-hmm. It's not your whole, you know, legacy. Um, and to not judge so much yourself so harshly or others harshly and that when you find yourself judging someone else harshly what are you saying about yourself yeah because usually we judge others harshly when another person is exhibiting attributes that we hate in ourselves yeah and so you know what are you saying about yourself um but i really want to leave a legacy of where people are healthy both emotionally and physically Mm -hmm. and that they are they are they feel inspired and committed to pass on good coaching tools, good managerial tools, and build a, a, a well-rounded life, right? That's yeah. interesting. And are you able to define yeah, I'm so glad I asked this because this is so similar to my philosophy of life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how, I want to ask, how do you practice non-judgment to yourself or to others? Um, so the minute I start, so in the morning, it's really easy. Yeah afternoon around 2 p.m. starting it, it gets harder yeah um and I try when I when I hear myself doing that I stop mm. and then I take a walk mm-hmm. um and then I, I don't look at it until the evening because you need some perspective away from that right um and it's so easy I think on social media to judge others yeah but the problem is is that you're only seeing like one snippet right and you know, what, 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 do I, what do people say? Like the days the, you know, the days are long, you know, life is short. Yeah. Um, the hours are long, the days are shorter, right? Yeah. Like eventually it'll, it, the moment seems so important, but you have to remember it's a grain of sand on a huge beach basically. And you have to keep that kind of big picture in mind mm-hmm. as, as you live through life, because otherwise you can get so twisted around one moment and limit yourself from recognizing other opportunities and letting other people into your life. Is that something come natural to you? Because I feel like if you were raised by judgmental like family members, right, that voice could be so inherent for you to even acknowledge. It does does not come naturally. I had to learn it. 
Yeah. And what is the, how did you take the first step from like separating the internal voice to, hey, this is not true. And this is too harsh. I think I started after probably graduating from law school and mm. um, moving to DC and meeting all sorts of people. Um, I mean, I met all sorts of people in law school and everywhere else, but like when you're in a school setting, it's a, it's a little bit different. Um, and you also learn that I think what your parents taught you is just one aspect of it. Yeah. The other thing is you get to a point where you view your parents as human beings and not just as mom and dad, right? Exactly. That they, they had their own aspirations, mm -hmm. their dreams, and that they too are sort of an imprint of their parents, right? So you almost pass on the judgment and the prejudices and biases and assumptions, right? And I think the thing that, you know, because people judge us so much, I thought, oh, okay, so what are my assumptions about other people? And like mm -hmm. my Aunt Marie, right? Everybody yeah. judged and nobody yeah. asked, right? Everybody assumed and nobody asked. And I think that was one of the things that was really important. And then I had a great um, instructor at Hunter College High School, um, Dr. Barbara Miller, who was the head of the English department back then. Mm. But she is she's someone who also, in reading literature with me and helping me write a novel a year when I was at Hunter, wow. um, <laughs> like developed the sort of, how do you judge but not judge, right? Like how mm. do you- Discernment. Yeah, discernment, yeah. make assessments, and then allow new information to update that assessment, right? Mm. I think what happens to so many people is like we judge in the moment and that's like the forever snapshot. Right. And I, I feel like that kind of happened in my prior job, right? I've been there 13 years and it got to the point where people had no idea what I did, but they just knew I did everything. And then when I put in my notice, they're like, holy hell, what, what's, gonna, what's gonna happen to all of us, right? Um, and that it's that approach that I think yeah. you have to always, it's like, um, you know, healthcare data is useless without constant updates. I yeah. think it's the same thing with our, our own data, but I think people have a hard time letting go of certain judgments mm. because to update it means that they have to question everything about themselves too. And yeah. that is, I think, one of the hardest things to do. But it sounds like you're doing that from a very young age. When your mom teach you math, you will ask yeah. why, right? Like yep. those questions, uh, when people say, oh, Mary is like, you know, she doesn't like kids you will say kids yeah why yeah she's but, worked, but i don't right? think that's true yeah right right and and when 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 you met your very first mentor in dc like you didn't you didn't do a typical thing what people would do like you didn't sell yourself too hard you were just yourself no. you present yourself yeah. fully and i think that is what attracted him maybe i don't know yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so it's almost like this you you have your own way of being you know it so deeply and, and that knowing guided you to like, you know, practice non-judgment to um, pass down the mentorship and to inspire others to do the same. But yeah. Well, yeah, the other thing is like, I think, you know, my job is an attorney, but I joke to people like I'm a therapist, I'm a connector, I'm yeah. a fixer, right? I think as an attorney, you always have to constantly update your impressions Yeah. because the law changes, people change. And the thing is, nothing stays the same. I mean, we're changing, right? My hair is graying, you know, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's harder to eat junk food and not like gain five pounds, yeah. 10 pounds overnight. So even though we're changing, I don't think we want to realize all of this thing changing. Cause like, you know, my dad, he's older, but he didn't want to accept that he's getting older. And he's like, well, I can't do this anymore. And this I'm like, dad, you're 76, like get real. He's yeah. like, well, I never thought I'd get old. I said, what planet were you on? 
so it's that you know because I can't pull off all-nighters anymore Charlene like I know that I mean so I couldn't do that in college either so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's for another generation to do yeah um but there are other things that I can do and it's kind of being consistent and true with that yeah and at the end of the day I'd still like to look at myself in the mirror and be okay with who I am I think the one of the things that you put there like and I, I kind of discussed this with a lot of Asian American high schoolers, especially who parents have not changed in the, you know, at all since uh, mm. my parents were young parents. Um, you, you pick your battles as your parents about yeah. what you're going to fight yeah. because it's, you can't fight everything with them. They're your parents and they, they have a certain kind of worldview and try to understand that worldview. It's very hard because you both know how to trigger each other. So it's like, you know, World War III is ready to pop open. Um, but you do have to kind of check your emotions. And even if they don't check their emotions, know that it's coming from, for them, a place of good because they don't want you to fail and they don't want you to get hurt, right? Yeah, um, assuming, assuming good yeah. intention, assuming that they're yes. trying to do their best, be yeah. human, yeah. yeah, and having empathy yes. to accompany that. Yeah, but you do... It is hard because the expectations of, you know, parents don't really, Asian American or not, they don't really change. They want you to be successful. They want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. They don't want you to make the same mistakes that they made. But the problem is our mistakes are, the, are part of the fabric and the quilt of our lives. Yeah. And some mistakes you have to make on your own in order for you to realize how precious that learning is because you'll not really learn it unless you make that mistake. Yeah, it's it. so different. Learning from reading, learning from experiences, yes. two different things. Yeah, yeah. No. You know, I I read like you know I've read over like forty manager how to be a good manager books, but until I actually did it, it's hard. It's not because you have to check yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's also why it's accelerating, right? Because it's challenging, yes. and you can see the direct impact on the people you, you change. Yeah. 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 Well, they change themselves. Right? They change themselves. You inspire. Yeah. You tra- yeah, you yeah. The, yeah. And you gave them, you, you helped them acquire the tools to change, but they changed themselves. Cause I used to, people used to say, oh, Jenny's going to keep us out of jail. Right. And I'm like, oh no, Jenny's not going to keep you out of jail. Jenny's going to help you keep yourself out of jail. Yeah. You're responsible for yourself. Right. Right. Oh, I love that. That's the same, like same philosophy for me as, as a coach. I don't yeah. give them the answer. I, I no. ask the questions to help them find their own answer. Yeah. 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 Wow. And the answer and, will be different at different stages of your life. Yeah. Right. And I think too many people want the answer. I'm yeah. like, there's no, the answer there's 365 days a year. There's endless number of colors. Like, what do you mean you want the answer? Yeah. And everyone's different. Like what? Yes. Yeah. I want to go a few years back though. Like I want to start yeah, from a lot of few years book, right? Lot, a lot lot of <laughs> I want to start from your childhood. I want to learn more about how is Jenny like, uh, tell me more about like, how were you growing up? So growing up, I was an only child for almost six years. Um, and so I was probably willful. I was yeah. good at playing by myself, but I was probably very willful and stubborn. And I usually told people that my life's, my, my first vivid memory is, is cutting off the heads of my dolls because hmm. I wanted to know what was inside. And the little yeah. <laughs> yes. And I think also my parents, because I was the first child, they were really mm. strict with me, right? So yeah. if I got into trouble, I had to bring the stick to my father. You bring the stick. Yeah. Um, and so wow. I did. And um, 
And then my father said, I refuse to cry every time he hit like my lower legs. So, oh and then I would be like, oh, look, it's red. And so he always jokes, like, that's when she was telling me what to do, like, even from a young age. Yeah. Um, but so I brought that. And then when I misbehave, they put me in the bathroom, right, mm. with the lights on, because they figured that I would be, you know, bored or angry. No, I started playing with the toothbrushes and the toothpaste. And then I shaved off my eyebrows one time wow. um, with my dad's razor. But when I shaved off my eyebrows, mm. my parents were just, you know, besides themselves. And uh and then my dad taught me math when I was little, like, mm. and he explained to me one plus one equals two. Yeah. And I didn't understand why that was the case. So I kept on asking why. And my yeah. mother, like, she was convinced that I was a backwards child <laughs> and what had they done wrong. Um, but those are like my vivid childhood memories. And yeah. then um, watching a lot of cartoons with my dad. And then when I was six, we moved to the United States, to New York City. I see. And that was a total culture shift. Yeah. I see. And how was um, the transition? from moving to U.S., was it easy for you as a child, challenging to some other expect? I think it was more challenging for my parents. Mm. I, for me, I was always up for a new adventure. And so I got off and the minute I saw my dad's younger brother who had like shock white hair and was five years younger than my dad, I looked up at him and I remember thinking, I remember I said out loud to him, how come you have so many white hairs? Ugh. All right. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty direct as a child. Most of the time, my mom would pinch me on the side. Um, yeah. did, did that yeah. change? Did that change you though? No, not really. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> in front of my mom, I behaved, but then when my, my mom was gone, I was like, so what about that? What about that? Yeah. Um, so um, my mom is much more proper. So mm-hmm. like if you asked her, she tried very hard to make me into a model child, like sit yeah. properly, you know, like this. Yeah. No, what, what was her but, expectation of you, if there is any? She expected me to study hard, get perfect grades, um, do 100 on every exam. And she was a typical, you know, Asian mom. Why didn't you get 105? Was yeah. there no extra credit? <laughs> um, and because she had been math champion, I think she expected, like she could add numbers in her head without a calculator. Yeah. But she was like abac- abacus champion. Yeah. So from my mother, I think I probably got self-discipline. Yeah. And the strictness, because um, my dad doesn't have a whole lot of self-discipline. And then New York, the transition wasn't so bad, but yeah. um, I, I sort of, I was a tunnel vision kid in the sense that in seventh grade, my entire class tried to give me the silent treatment. Mm. And I didn't realize they were giving me the silent treatment. Mm. I just thought they were, some of them were going deaf. <laughs> so they gave up on giving me the silent treatment yeah, because they thought- just- yeah, you would just keep that no. going. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I was like, oh, okay. And then the person who started it came to me and said, you know, we were giving you the silent treatment. I was like, oh, okay. He's like, but you don't seem to care. I said, no, I don't. Not really. Yeah. Um, so that was, so and I had like tunnel vision. But going back to that moment, is that yeah. confidence? Or is it just like you don't care about them, the, the kids? I don't think I cared too much about most of them. Mm. Um, I'm very sensitive to people that I have good relationships with. But if I don't have a relationship with you, I'm not going to try to waste time pleasing you. Because I I, I knew that I couldn't please everyone anyway. That awareness, though, is so sharp at grade seven. Like, because so many of us grow up people pleasing every single one until like we are too tired to do that. Is it because, because you mentioned that you were direct, 
growing up your mom tried to like pinch you but it doesn't work so so what what is it that gave you that you know that you don't need to please them like you are good for people who cares well honestly it's because like I was a round child like literally if you saw photos of me like I am built for famine, not for feasting. And I take after my dad's side of the family. So like I was a really roly poly child. And when you're roly poly and you're Asian American, honestly, you're like, mm, I'm never gonna be beautiful and skinny. Like everyone, like, cause every Asian American uh, young woman in my class was like super slim, but yeah. like I had arms and thighs and round fat cheeks. So like when you know inherently that you're never going to look like them Mm. and you're never going to really fit in, Mm. I think it forces you to find your own identity. Yeah. Um, And I also, my dad is very, I think his own identity is very strong, Mm. whereas my mother's a little bit more conformist in some respects. Yeah. And so he always told me like, you are who you are. Don't worry about everyone else. Right. And just be proud. Yeah. And just go, go for it. Right. But I also didn't. Yeah, Yeah. I also didn't grow up in the church community because the Korean American community is very church oriented. Mm. My dad's Confucius and my mom's Buddhist. So Mm. I just didn't grow up. So we had to sort of forge our own identities. Yeah. And then on my dad's other family, some of his cousins intermarried with white people in America. So like those are some of my favorite people, like those aunts, because they opened up a whole different world to me of books and ideas and not sort of the same, like, you know, a lot of my aunts by marriage that were married to my dad's brothers they had all graduated from the right Korean colleges so they all were competing for things that I was just like okay who cares um but like some of the other people were librarians and so my my Caucasian aunts like it was just easier to talk to them because they had no judgment like they were trying to survive at family gatherings like me yeah so there was no judgment and I think you know, I, I joke to people that my whole upbringing and all the family gatherings were like over 20 people gathered and then you were subjected to constant judgment right. was a good thing for me in the long term because it gave me the ability to filter what was truly important, mm. what was not, and not worry about what everyone else was thinking. Yeah, I think sometimes if you don't grow up in those situations, you think that everything potentially it could be misinterpreted as a personal insult or attack. Yeah. But when you have like judgmental, I think you've gained five pounds. Like you're kind of <laughs> fat. Um, why didn't you get perfect grades in school? I heard you failed that test. Like mm. when you sort of have to explain and learn along the way that, you know, sometimes people have good intentions. Some people, people don't, but you still have to work on you. Right. Mm. Regardless yeah. of all of that. I think yeah. that was the big learning I had growing up, going to all the Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter and New Year's celebrations. So it sounds like you were the early childhood, the training ground for you to like yes. get all the judgments tested. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, so you can feel Hunger Games. Was, Hunger yeah. Games for kids. Yeah. Hunger Games for kids. Well, well put. And then you met the cool Caucasian aunts who have fully no yeah. judgments. They inspire you yeah. whoever you want. So that's the new role models you see in the world. And then your dad, who as it has his own identity, also encouraged yeah. you to have your own. Yes. So what was your identity back then, if, if you can recall? Um, back then, like between, I think, junior high and high school and elementary school, I think my fundamental identity was being the daughter of, right, my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was like the real world I lived in. Yeah. Because um, I remember 
you know, when I tested into the high school that I went to, Hunter College High School, which is the famous yeah, high school in New York City. Yeah, a lot yeah, of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, Lin-Manuel and, you know, Rosen, yeah. you know, lyricists all graduated from there. I was not part of that cool kid group. Um, I think most of the time, my mom always said this, which always has always stuck with me, which I remember all the other parents going crazy, right? Their kids got in. My mother's like, okay, that's great. She's like, this is another beginning. Yeah. And if you screw it up, it's going to be screwed up, right? Uh. Um, so you just have to worry. Don't get an fl- inflated head because it's, mm. whenever you get into something, it's always a new beginning. Right. So it's day one, kind of like Jeff Bezos says, right? Yeah. So like for my mother, every day is day one. And that's how she raised up my brother and I. Wow. And so and you so we continued. One. We graduated high school. My mother's like, that's great. Now you got to get out of college. So it's day <laughs> one, right? Um, and it's kind of that approach I've taken that I think has helped me because I've seen too many people rest on their laurels mm. and I don't, I don't want to rest on my laurels yeah. because there's so many interesting things to see and do out there. Yeah. Um, and it's always trying to build upon, build upon. Um, and so that, that's kind of the thing, but relatives gatherings, high school, I mean, I think those are all really good training grounds to try to figure out who you are and build who you are, but also know when to go into be a tortoise and yeah. go into your shell to recover and to rejuvenate. Because I think that's the other part that I think nowadays people don't feel like they have a shell anymore. Mm. But the reality is you it's up to you to create it and protect it. How do you create your shell and protect it? I journal almost every day. And that Starting was inspired. From- starting from when I was uh, 11, because I read the book, Harriet the Spy. Yeah. Um, and that inspired me. Like, I still have all those journals. I moved with, they moved with me everywhere, yeah. which annoyed my parents, but um, they <laughs> moved with me everywhere. Um, but it's, it's almost things that you can't, you realize you can't recapture. Like it may mm. be a memory, but at yeah. that moment, <clears throat> when you journal about something, you can't really recapture it. And then I think I was also inspired by um, reading about historical figures and all the letters they wrote and yeah. the journals that they kept too. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I, I try to write a lot of letters and thank you notes mm-hmm. um, because it captures that moment. Yeah. Um, wow. But that's one captures of the things I use. This yeah. Is... Captures that moment. Yep. Yeah. And I, I bet you have read the journals back then, right? What were yes. some of those patterns or feelings you observed? I think I tended to hide my anger and resentment. Mm. If you don't give an emotional reaction, then yeah. you give the, you don't give any power back to the counterparty, right? It's like mm. how to figure out how to retain your power so you don't give it up to the counterparty. Um, does that, does and, that make you feel yeah. powerful? Like retaining, repressing the emotion? It depends. So in a meeting, yes. In my personal life, probably not. Mm. Um, in professionally, yes, because yeah. I think people tend to read too much into other people's right. emotional reactions, right? Yeah. But in my personal life, probably not, because if you tend to smooth things over and show nothing, um, you know, your family members and relatives assume either, okay, fine, you don't care, yeah. or you know, or you 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 know, I you don't care, you don't care, and so I'm going to get my way, right? Mm. Um, and it's that fine line of managing it, and I always tell people I'm really good about professional emotional management yeah I am not so good about the personal emotional management it's like certain family members can press all my buttons and it's like poof the nuclear bomb goes off which goes off for everyone families parents 
are so yeah. triggering sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think this is such a, like when you talk about like the journaling, when you capture the moments, you notice that yep. you hide your anger and resentment. Yeah. What, what else did you notice through those, through, through those journals? Um, throughout the journals, I also have noticed that I tend to want to record people who've made a huge influence on me. Yeah. And sort of certain events um, that have happened. Yeah. And it's interesting to read them because I have a certain memory of it, like, yeah. you know, years later. Yeah. But the way I record it at the moment is very different. And I think at the moment, it comes out of my emotional, immediate emotional reaction. Mm -hmm. When time has faded, it's sort of like a sandpaper has kind of smoothed down the rough edges. And so yeah. it's a little bit more graceful and a little bit less damning, shall we say, in the memory. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing I've noticed. And the other thing is there is a lot of poetry um, quotations mm -hmm. and a lot of um, old style quotations that mm -hmm. I tend to write in there because I only remember things if I handwrite it. Um, it's, it's so interesting. Yeah. I, I want to go back to the moments of yes. the influence, but before that, I also noticed that, and and I was trying to go back to the letters I wrote in in like junior high just to kind of uh -huh. re recover some of those like trauma, quote unquote. And I was talking to my coach and I was like, hey, I don't know what is true. Like what, I don't think that's what happened, but this is what I recall. And I think what he said is really interesting. He said, what is true anyways? Like, is it what yeah. your mind think of? Is it what happened? Like what, 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 what matters, right? So yeah, I think same as what you said, even though the way you interpret the situation is different, it, it, it's fine. Like both are true, uh, equally true, right? Well, I think when, when it happens, and your coach has hit on a really good point, because I think there are two types of memories, right? There's the memories of your heart, yeah, and there's yeah. the memories of your head. Yeah. And I think for me, when I journaled, I was recording the memories of my heart yeah. and not the memories of my head. Mm. And I think that's why what your coach has identified is really, really discerning. Yeah. Because I, I don't think we necessarily distinguish between the two memories that we have. And so therefore, like the truth becomes all muddled because yeah. we're not acknowledging that there's two parts to it. I feel like, I don't know, it's, it's ironic because we are taught to think from our head, to wrap our yes. head, like the consciousness, right? But then yep. so much of the decisions are made from the heart. And yep. subconsciously you have, you couldn't, you don't even know, you couldn't no. cheer upon. So I know it's true because it's struck a core deeper inside, but I couldn't articulate it yet. Yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. So, so uh, I have to journal on this tonight, but um, onto the point of people, events that made a huge influence on you, who were some of them, some of the events or people? So two people immediately, three people immediately come to mind. So my Aunt Marie, mm -hmm. um, she was Swiss German American, and she's the one who introduced me to all the books, Monet. Yeah. The librarian? Um, yes, the librarian. Yeah. Um, and she was like eminently refined. I think she was just inherently born good. Like there's no other way I can figure it out. Um, but she was inherently born good and she spoke four languages and she she knew so much and she was such an interesting person. But it was, to me, it was always interesting because I think all of my Korean relatives had a certain perspective on her. They were very respectful of her and deferential to her because she was old, much older than the rest of us. But I don't think anyone ever bothered to actually get to know her. So, you know, I remember just, you know, chatting with her and it was funny because everybody's like, she doesn't like kids. So 
like you have to be very careful with her. <laughs> and what I came to realize is that nobody talked to her, period. Like most of my cousins of my generation, and because it was so entrenched, she doesn't like kids. And I'm not How sure. did you have the guts to huh? talk to her when people tell you that? Well, I wondered about the I don't like kids yeah. uh, narrative yeah. because she was always so warm mm. and she was smiling. Yeah. And, and so I remember I asked my mom about this and my mom's like, no, no, they always smile and say warm things. Mm. Like, you know, it's not, it's not, it doesn't mean they like you. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, okay. Um, but I still went and approached her and it's funny because, you know, she's passed now, but mm. she used to tell people like I was this chubby little thing who loved books yeah. and, um, she, she, she just loved the fact that I, I could talk about books and because she was a librarian, it was a easy way to connect. And then she was such a great letter writer in beautiful cursive. I was like, oh, I want to become like her. And so I practiced my penmanship. Yeah. Um, Wow. In, and cursive and so we communicated for a long time and then she just passed away a couple of years ago exactly. I think she was over 100 wow. um but yeah. yeah but she she was had a little bit of dementia but I did get to see her but she still remembered me mm. and I, I can't tell you how much that really touched me because she had yeah. forgotten a lot of people and um, it feels like in your family you're the only one who really understood her yes probably yeah because everyone else just had a very pre preconceived right. notion of her. Right. And, and yeah. you, I know you also write everything. Like even yeah. online, you write everything, right? So is yeah. that also inspired by, by on her? Yes. Yeah. 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 I did my high school um, American history project on her because oh. she grew up in Missouri. Her younger brother was a CIA spy during World wow. War II. So, um, and then I think he worked for the National Security Agency um, and he lived in DC. And so, she and her brother wrote letters to each other every week, even after the war and everything else. And, you know, she grew up during the depression and she had consequences from polio, like it affected her esophagus and everything, but she never flinched. She was always gracious about it. She wasn't an invalid um, mm -hmm. at all. And yeah. that kind of fortitude and stamina and grace really inspired me. Yeah. And it, it was just, it was a different type of grace and fortitude than other things that I've seen mm. where it wasn't an obvious one, right? Cause she yeah. looked, she was blonde haired, um, brown eyed, had beautiful skin and she was very like delicate. Mm. But to think someone like that had that kind of fortitude. Right. Um, because you normally you think- She's immediately yeah. refined. Yeah. Yes. She was, she, was, she was one of my key influences and to do the high school project, she was so excited because no one had asked about her life. Yeah. And to, for her to be able to tell it. Yeah, I think was was a big thing for her. That is that is the same reaction when I went out to interview people uh, for model workers, elementary school uh -huh. students, high school students, like even people in the career. They're like, no one asked about my early life, and I was like, that's not that's not good. <laughs> like you're having yeah. that's such a good life, yeah. So let me do that job. So yeah, a hundred people uh, on the record, but yeah. hundreds more not. Uh, and, and I think you also told me about. There are these people in your life who some of them have passed away, but just have mentored you so much that you want to give back to yes. the next generation. Is that also part of the influence she gave? Yes. Um, she was one of my first mentors. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I came to Washington, D.C. after law school, I met um, the retired David. Um, we are Admiral Altwig. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And he was a huge influence on me because I had started my presidential management fellowship program and I met him and he said to me, I didn't read your resume. I'm like, that's cool. There's nothing on there to look at. So I, and I think he was kind of taken aback because, you know, usually people start reciting their resume. I was like, well, I'm going to have to prove myself. So yeah, I said, the resume is kind of useless. And he's like, so you're going to have to follow me around everywhere. And I was thinking, "Mm, okay. I was like, cool, that's great. So I worked a lot with him because I didn't have enough holidays to go Mm. home for Christmas. Mm. So we worked on the budget that year. This was back in 2002. Mm. And so this is what was interesting about him. To Mm. to him, I was just a smart person. Mm. Like he didn't hyphenate me. Like I wasn't a box to check. I wasn't Asian American. He just called me an American kid. Yeah, I mean, it's back in 2002. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he, he wasn't obsessed with all of that stuff. He just right. was like, okay, this is what you're going to learn. And I can't go to this meeting. So you're going to represent me. And I'm like, what? Okay. Whatever. <laughs> um, and he always made me sit at the table. Yeah. So you, I you was, never need to ask. No. Well, I usually sat on the, the fringe, right? Yeah. But he would drag me out and be like, here, oh. yeah. here. And I'm like, yes, sir. Um, and, and then, you know, it was so funny that then he like declared to everyone. And if I could adopt her, I would. And I was just like, okay, this is so embarrassing. (laughs) Um, so he, he, and then he helped me get my next rotation at the white house from there, um, at the office of counsel to the president. And he just was so generous with his time expertise. And he was like that with a lot of people, not just Mm -hmm. me. Like he had groomed so many people over time. Yeah. Um, and I felt like the only way to honor that is to make sure I pass that on yeah. and, you know, no other else. So that's why I've taken those principles from him. And then when he won an award for public service, it was interesting because, you know, everybody wrote about, oh, I was so-and-so on 9-11. He wrote about how it was important to have loyalty to your peers, mm. loyalty to your superiors. And this is something nobody really talks about anymore. Mm. Loyalty to your direct reports. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he understood loyalty was really a cross. It wasn't just right. a up wow. down. Loyalty to your direct reports. Yeah. And that's not, so that's not something almost no one talks about anymore, but yeah. that I deeply internalized because that's such a, such an important I thing. I bet you're a wonderful manager. Um, I have made a lot of mistakes and, um, but I am proud of the fact that my direct reports felt comfortable enough to bop me on the head when they needed to. And I have learned from those experiences. Mm -hmm. And then I've I've also learned to listen for the feedback that they're giving me, but they don't want to give to me directly. Yeah. How do you, that's hard. Yeah. How do you unpack that? So uh, depends on the personality, right? Yeah. For the people who are unusually polite, they become even more polite. Mm. And then you're like, wait a minute. Are they telling me something? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then for the people who are normally direct, they can become silent. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. What happened? Right. Mm. Like you're not talking. If you're not talking, there's something wrong here. Right. Um, Right. And and then for the people who are normally quiet and they become quieter and more Mm. withdrawn, um, then you usually take them aside and try to figure out what's going on from there. Um, But that's how yeah, you can sense the emotional disconnect. Yes. Right. Yep. Yeah, they were less than what who they usually are, or more yeah. of 
Right. And then that's when you kind of create and then yeah. And then when two of them come in and say, we need to talk, (laughs) you let them talk and you sit on your hands and you do not respond. It is really hard not to Mm -hmm. respond. But you I literally sat on my hands. Yeah. And uh, for that, I'm eternally grateful to Josh and Aaron for that. Right, right. Because you had to set your ego aside, right? Because yes. otherwise, you can always fight them over, and then it's it's. it's but what definitely... are you? But what are you trying to achieve, right? Right. You're, you're trying to keep team harmony and healthy conflict resolution. Yeah. But your perspective doesn't fundamentally matter. Yeah. Because at that point, you're the top of the food chain what you see, what they see and feel are two totally different things. Right. That, yeah, I feel like this needs to get put into the manager handbook if there is one. <laughs> it's so hard, but so important. Uh, wow, this is so good. And Jenny, I want to leave time for you to share with the audience if they want to find you, um, look at your work. What, what's the best way? So um, the best way is Twitter because I'm probably most active there. And my Twitter handle is simple, at Jenny Kim. Um, I have a weekly newsletter uh, called Trade-Offs and Triumphs because I think everything in life is a trade-off. There's yeah. no one solution, but, and you can still triumph on certain things. And that newsletter got started because our dishwasher broke and I knew my mother could not live without her dishwasher. Yeah. And, and then I have a blog called Putting It Together Mm -hmm. blog and that was inspired by a Stephen Sondheim song and um, I'm also on LinkedIn and so those are the four sources that you can find me. You also have YouTube with the newsletter right? Yeah so I do a blog like a quick summary. Got Um, it. Yeah and that I learned from uh, uh, Cam Hauser for minimum viable video. Yeah. Um, but I, I did it because I know I hate looking at myself on camera but I had to do it. (laughs) Like it was one of those things you had to exercise the courage muscle. You just have to do it. Just yeah, do it, so right? it's literally uh, tra- trade-offs and triumph in, in yes. real life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just Sometimes you just have to do it and not worry about the aesthetics of it all. Honestly, you know, people who look great on camera are probably a genetic anomaly. Mm, yeah, that's true. And I will put all those links in the bio so everyone yeah, can you. see that on YouTube or podcast. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thanks for coming up. No, Charlene, thank you for the invitation. And as you pointed out in your last newsletter about great conversations, every time we meet up, it's always a great conversation and it's kind of a lost art. So thank you so much for reinvigorating it. Yeah, well, I will leave it here and thank Mm -hmm. you.